Hey, I'm Ramel London. I'm a TV radio presenter and host, and I want to welcome you to the Mainstream Podcast. Today, I'm recording a very special episode of The Mainstream from the Puma Suede Studio. Yes, honey, it's looking good in here. The studio was launched to pay homage to the UK talent, and that is why I had to invite this very special guest to the studio. Now, I've got to do the big intro for this man because, oh, I have known him for over 10 years, and I've literally seen his career transform from a local Northwest London rapper to a Cambridge-educated wordsmith, and then he quickly progressed as an established spoken word artist with a record deal under his belt and now most importantly he's become a social commentator using his voice for the youth of today speaking openly honestly about social and political issues that need to be addressed i am so excited to have the peabody award-winning podcast host and my longtime friend george the poet yo thank you that was a very generous intro mate I'm so gassed. I can't even lie to you. And I've got to say, hello, George. Welcome to the mainstream. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me here. This is a great idea. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm so grateful that you, Mr. Booked and Busy, had time for me. I really appreciate this. And listen, we literally have to go deep because, like I mentioned, we have known each other for a number of years. So uh, what I want to talk about, first of all, is when our paths first crossed. Now, yeah. I'm gonna go deep here. <laughs> we yeah, first please. met at Bang Radio back in, I think, 09, 2010. And I was on the street team for the station. So, you know, we were always doing events, screaming how amazing Bang Radio is. And I remember talking to the young people and saying, okay, cool, who do you wanna see perform? One name, Shaolin. Crazy. <laughs> Man like Shaolin. No lie yet, I messaged Manal. I was like, what yeah. did they used to call George? <laughs> and she was Trust like, Shaolin. I'll never forget. <laughs> Big up Manal. So I need to slice this in there. Love Big up. Manal. A whole 10 presence, man. I love that. Yeah, everyone involved with Bang. Shouts out to you, Bigger Fish. Oh, mate. Let's mm. talk about that young artist and in particular your passion for Sam's Chicken. Um, yes. There was a <laughs> famous song <laughs> where you mentioned Sam's mm. Two for Two. It was so good. I had to go try it myself. So let's talk about that young artist and who, who you used to be. Shawal. I enough love to the young man that I was because um, he, he tried everything. So when you met me, I was a few years into rapping. Okay. And probably the reason that some of them young people had an awareness of me is because I had really, really started stepping up how much I was releasing. As you mentioned, I released that song about Sam's Chicken. <laughs> this was all part of me like having rapped for time and felt like the spit, the rapping was um, drawing me out to rap a certain way and present myself a certain way. Okay. And it was doing the same, I felt like it was doing the same to a lot of my friends and just young black men in the grime scene and in the rap scene in, in general. Yeah. And I was resisting that. So that's why I started making, I was making tunes about anything. Chicken, I made a, a song about Primark. I made a song about just being in the library all the time. Yeah. Um, And that's when I met you. So we were in a space where it was very much about young people, hands on, getting it cracking, using our talents, you know, it, we're lucky to have them organizations in the in in the area at yep. the time because they made it so obvious that we were supposed to use our talents 
and they made it obvious that there would be more opportunities if we applied ourselves. You know, we was working with radio and that, that was that was big was. in definitely in my life and I think in yours at the time. So yeah, that's that's who I was at, the, at, at that moment. I love that, I love that. That was, they were so, such good times, like you said, it was all about young people just stepping out, saying who they wanted to be and just being, being supported. I think that's what really was the, the key message in, in that organization at the time as well. And um, you made a big decision though, to move over to spoken word and poetry. So what, what made that, that change happen for you? Well, you know, Ramel gets just released his album. It's a great album, Conflict of Interest. Yes. Um, there's a big drive to like get it to number one. I hope it does. As I was listening to the album, I remembered that time in my life and why I really decided to become a poet. You see, I felt like Getz was the best, as a lot of people are saying now and have said for a long time. I felt like he was the most lyrical and I was trying to be that. Yeah. But the way we were rapping, I felt like only if you were in, interested in grime and if you had the ability to listen to rap at the tempo that we were delivering it, only then would you be able to appreciate what we were doing. But if I talked it, you could probably appreciate it in a different way. Because okay. it's the same amount of effort in putting my poems together as it was when I was a rapper. Yeah. Trying to find the ideas and the lines that would cut through and make them rhyme in, a, in an advanced way. So by the time I got to Cambridge, that's when I was like forced to try out this new idea okay. of talking the bars because I was around people that I was sure they wouldn't understand mm. where we came from. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I totally understand that. That's that's powerful, man, because you're just showing that all of all of what you're saying can be done in music, but you found another way to kind of deliver it and make it more thought provoking and, and the words last a little bit longer, I think. That, that's what I took from that as well. And um, you did mention you went to Cambridge. You went to King's College, Cambridge to uh, study yeah. politics, psychology and sociology. So, okay, we know that you were Shaolin. You crossed over to become George's poet. What were your plans? What, what did you want to be when you, when you took up that course? Um... Before anything, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I okay. thought I was going to defend everyone, like defend, you know, be a criminal lawyer and then maybe some sort of community lawyer, right? Yeah. Kind of like Obama, what Obama did before he became a senator. Okay, I wanted speaking. to be in the community using my um, brain in it. Yeah. But um, then I wanted to become an MP because I thought, what's the point in being a lawyer? if I'm not going to get an opportunity to shape the law yeah, and politicians shape the law in it. Definitely. So I wanted to go about it that way, but studying politics and studying society, I was like, I realized that even if I did, I still wouldn't be relevant to young people. Wow. There's no, there's no, there's no politician in our world who unfortunately feels relevant to the kind of young people I'm talking about, the, the guys that I was rapping with, the guys I grew up with. Yeah. So I wanted to be able to still be in their lives, but be on TV, ticking all the boxes that I just mentioned to you. Yeah. And poetry just gave me the opportunity to do that more than politics ever would at that time. Definitely, that makes sense. And like you said, you, you became George the Poet while at uni, which is 
incredible. I mean, uni is, is supposed to be a life-changing experience and you created the person that you are now. So w when, when and why was George the poet, especially the name, like you could have just been George or <laughs> like, added the poet. You could have still been Shaolin even. Like True. why George the poet? Yo, good question, Ramel. Um, <laughs> and, and this is where it goes back to something that my, my future father-in-law, I call him my father-in-law, said to me just like yesterday or the day before, he was talking about God's plan. Because I like me and him always laugh about how my fiance and I were just like friends forever, yeah. you know, not thinking that we we're gonna get married. And um, he was like, "Yeah, God's. We put so much energy into what we can see in front of us, but there's gonna be an outcome that you don't even know about yet, yeah. and that's God's plan." So when I was in uni, I feel like that happened to me as well. So my brethren was putting on basically. Um, a showcase, a talent showcase for first years, newcomers like me. Cool. And he knew me to be a rapper. He didn't know at that point I was falling out of love with rap. Okay. And he was pressuring me to perform and I was, I felt awkward within me because I was like, I'm the only black man on campus, man. Wow. Don't ask me to come out and, you know what I mean? Rap to these people at, in the way that I'm used to, knowing that I'm not going to translate in the way that I do back home in Northwest. But he just pestered me and I was like, look, I'll do it only if I don't rap it like that. Get me, I'm just gonna talk it with acoustic accompaniment, if anything. Right. And that went down so well. A lot of, bless him, shouts out to my bridge in Khalil, shouts out to Cambridge um, ACS of 2010, because they created the environment for me to become George the Poet. Yeah. That went down well. A lot of different universities were at that one showcase. Wow. One of them was Nottingham and Nottingham Trent, the ACS, the African Caribbean societies from these unis. And they were like, yo, whatever that guy's doing, we want it at our showcase. <laughs> so they had a thing called Jazz, Funk and Soul in January 2011, yeah. literally the month I turned 20. That's why like right now is 10 years of George the Poet. January 2011, I performed at Jazz Funk and Soul in Nottingham. And again, that was a plug because there was a lot of other different unis yep. um, at this event. And they were all African Caribbean societies. So these are young people that have grown up like you and me. Yeah. You know, we've found ourselves trying to be creative. Some of us went the uni way. Most of us have a similar experience. Most of us have parents at the time it was predominantly African parents. Yeah. Enough of them who came here in the eighties and the nineties. I was thinking about Anthony Joshua and Stormzy the other day. It's we're Anthony Joshua's like a year older than me. Stormzy's okay. a couple of years younger than me. But we're all part of the same story. There was a big wave of African immigration yeah. into Britain from the eighties to nineties. And all of our parents came and you know like I was I saw Anthony Joshua on the news the other day and it made me emotional because I was thinking rah this is how we're, this is how the story pan, panned out. Yep. Our parents didn't know that, you know. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I was performing to an audience of people like that, you know. So we were coming from the same world with a similar mentality. And I think the connection, the synergy, the yeah. timing, again, God's plan just made what I was saying to them just send off fireworks. So from there, like for the rest of the year, I was just up and down the country performing at different unis. And it just exactly. became like, you know, poetry. I just became known as George, who does poetry. 
them times there, Mo the comedian was also doing his thing. Right. And one time Mo introduced me on stage. He's like, what's your name? I was like, George. And he just like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, George the Poet. <laughs> that is so Mo as well. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna call you George the Poet. <laughs> yeah. And it just stuck like that. That's amazing. Mm. Big up Mo as well. Another mainstream yeah. guest oh. that I absolutely love his journey as well. I mean, love it. like you said, your career as George the Poet took off at uni. And I remember we were still kind of like in regular communication. I was working at Link Up TV. We had a couple of events where you came back to London and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is really traveling from Cambridge to come and perform at our events. Like, thank you. And then you yeah. became like the face of Hackney Weekender. You was doing brand collabs, Sky Sports for the F1 Grand Prix. Okay. Like, what do you think was the key moment or even some of the, the the pieces that you performed that really kind of projected you into the public eye like that mm. you got a good memory Ramon you know <laughs> I'm impressed you got a really good memory um key moments I would say the link up tv show that was I will never forget it, it was I think November 2011 collision I, I think it was I think I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 In um Old Street. Yeah. I I was in fact there was Link Up TV even before Link Up Bang yeah. FM yeah. who connected us um asked me to perform at a talent contest in the end. Yeah. I was still in uni but I just again came down. Wow. I performed Lioness was there. Big up Lioness. Yeah. Because this oh was very gosh. important as well. Lioness from from my performance was so moved that she asked me to perform at her EP launch. The EP was called Rawness. Oh my gosh, yes. Jeez, you're throwing me back, bro. <laughs> Real talk. 2011, man. It's mad. And um when when I performed, like enough, enough rappers were there. That's the important yeah. thing. That's the key thing. People like Femfell, um, wow. the the whole of like the South scene, you know, Lioness is a South rapper. Yeah. Um, Big Bad Blue, who used to host all the Blade Brown mixtapes. Wow. You know, man from SN1, Peckham, like all of this stuff. It was very, very relevant yeah. that they saw me in that space because I came and I, I, had, I had hunger. I had, I had fire. I didn't realize like my poetry was kind of like therapy. Yeah. And I had a lot of, anger from certain things that happened in the ends when I was growing up and um everyone felt it so that was a key turning point that was September 2011 link up to TV was also 2011 November I performed on stage for the first time I got a wheel up. well not the first time a wheel oh, up, you know <laughs> yeah 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 that that's that's I, that's why I love like black spaces and black art because we pour so much culture into what we do so much passion so much history and because black people are from all over the world yeah when we get together and make black music we're bringing the whole world together yeah so different like the wheel up culture bringing it to spoken word yeah only black people would do that you know what i mean <laughs> so, funny. so they gave me a wheel up and like my name was buzzing for that like poet gets a wheel up on getting posted on like spiff tv and everything that mad but um, yeah, yeah, all of that activity. There's a few things I haven't mentioned as well. We got vocals and verses. Yeah, these were black-owned shows yeah. promoting black art, black talent, and love to everyone else who's not black, who was around, mm -hmm. who was part of that, and everyone who wasn't part of that. But 
what that gave me was a space to really hold my craft and figure out how I want to connect with my audience. And this thing about bars, talking about the ends in an academic way, yeah. that was my new lane. No, one, I'd never seen anyone do it the way I was doing it. Yeah. But because the audience was responding, I'm thinking this is this is good. Definitely. Um, then after that, yeah, I made a, a like my brethren who, a, a, a director called Rob Ryan, who saw me at Lioness's thing. Right. He reached out to me and he was like, yo, he just believed in me like differently from a visual standpoint. And no one got it them times there. He emailed everyone, every broadcaster, every wow. platform. He's like, yo, I found this new talent. This guy's amazing. You guys should put in some money to develop him. No one was interested. People that I work with now were not interested. Oh my God. Not naming names. But yeah. it's all good. <laughs> you don't have this vibe. We'll just, uh, they know who they are. <laughs> It's all, it's, it's genuinely all good. Cause yeah. like I said, God's plan. But um, yeah, from there, Rob's uh, prompted me to make a poem about London because it was 2012 now. Yes. The, the, the riots happened the summer of 2011. Yeah. Um, the Queen's Jubilee, the Olympics and some other big ha things were happening at the time. But he was like, I think people need to hear from your perspective I think you can communicate a different side of British life yeah. in a certain way. And then if we put it together with a visual, I'm sure that will move people. Yeah. So we did that. We released it. Didn't really do nothing. But then one day, I think I was procrastinating from doing uni work. Okay. I was like, nah, man, let me push this poem. And I started <laughs> posting it everywhere. I was just following, like, following threads on Twitter and being like, you might be interested in this poem. Going all on my Facebook, check out this new poem. And then it just... Bust it like everyone was like, Yo, who's this guy? And then Channel 4 got in touch, okay. Sky Sports got in touch, everything flowed from there. That's beautiful, man. Sometimes it just takes a little, a little bit of I don't know, that kind of marketing plan. Like, okay, let's just actually consciously make a decision to get this out to the people. And a great yeah. idea, a great idea. Okay, so like we mentioned, I, I think personally, you're like the brand king. Like you are always, you know, getting really great like collaborations and they always seem authentic, which is what I love. But was there a, a time where you was offered uh, maybe money to perform and you were like, hold on a minute, that's a lot of money to perform. Like, <laughs> what was the first brand deal where you were like, hold on, can I live off this? You know what? Um, it was The first thing that made me think that wasn't even a brand deal, but it was... Um... Uh, a charity who worked with the corporate world. Okay. Um, it's called Business in the Community. It's, um, and it was every year, Business in the... It's actually Prince Charles' charity. Okay. Every year, they have they had a um, an award show called the Responsible Business Awards. And remember, I'm, I'm still in uni. I'm still reading yeah. and trying to figure out, like, what I... My vision for society. And I believed... I was starting to have the idea at that time that it's... It, you need business to, to evolve in order for society to evolve. Wow. I had that idea from like 21. And then business in the community reached out to me, big up Gail. She said, look, I'm going to pay you to write a poem and perform a poem. And I told her my fee, yeah. And um, I like them times that I was really sticking out my chest. I thought I was saying something. I was like, yeah, you got to pay me this. <laughs> She's like, um, okay, well, we have a budget of this. And it was like, over a hundred times what I've um, what? Put, now that I'm thinking about it. Are you serious? 
All right, not over 100 times, maybe like 50 times what I did. I mean, My maths is a bit whack. Regardless, it's a lot of money. It sounds like the zeros added up. Yeah, the zeros. That's what made me laugh. Like, whenever I think back to that memory, it's like, I, it never occurred. I didn't know. I didn't know the levels. I didn't know yeah. what people's budgets were. I didn't know what the landscape was. Yeah. I didn't know how people would recognize my value. Right. But from there, where I realized that, oh, there's certain pockets of industry where there are budgets yeah. for what you do. Yep. That's, I was like, okay, nah. And I remember saying to my mom, I don't think I'm going to hand in another CV ever again. Wow. And she thought I was gassed. She really like tried to like manage my ego them times. She was like, you need to focus on what you're talking about, get through uni and then we'll talk. And I was like, you you don't you ain't been seeing what I've been seeing. So I'm gonna I'm show you. That's <laughs> how me and my mom always are. But uh, yeah, it, from there, that's when my confidence started building to be like, yo, as long as I don't need to be everywhere, I don't yeah. need to be, I don't need to have the most clout in the scene. Yeah. But as long as my value is, clearly identifiable by people with budgets who who want to do work that i believe in yes i might have a career out of this that's beautiful that's so beautiful and did you mentioned uni like you know your mum had to kind of check you a little bit did you actually mm. ever consider dropping out and just being like never. i don't need this oh never really never. never yeah i was really i was really proud to go to cambridge and okay, good I, I realized as i was there that what i was studying was helping to grow me right. as a person and, it, and my growth on an intellectual level went hand in hand with my growth on a lyrical level. Beautiful. Which, which is why I became a rapper when I started doing my GCSEs. Right. That makes perfect sense. I love that. I love that. Well, not long after, you actually got signed by Island Records, which was huge. And I, I think why it was huge as well, because at the time... UK music was on the up. So, you know, we saw a lot of our favourite artists getting signed. And I didn't even know a poet could be signed like that. So for the scene, it felt like, okay, this is a big win. And for you, what what did that mean to you? Especially, what did that mean to young Shaolin again? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great, yo, Ramel, I swear to God, your interview skills, man. <laughs> thank you, George, thank you. <laughs> no segue. <laughs> so young Shaolin, yeah, mm. 15 to 19, I was Shaolin. Yeah. That guy, the height of what he could imagine would get signed. Yes. So this was validation for that young man. Yeah. And he still lives in me. Of course. I share his motivations. At the same time, as you grow, you 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 take on new information. Yeah. So I entering the site, the record deal, I was a slightly different person from the kid that wanted that record deal for the reasons that he wanted it. Yeah. It For me, it was a trial. It was like, okay, um, the music industry came to me. Yeah. Shaolin, he would have run the music industry down. Yeah. But then organically developed a little bidding war for man. Wow. And and that colored my options. And mom, I'm just coming out of uni them times yeah. there. And I still don't really have a strong idea of what I want to say to the public and how I'm going to make my art really popular. Okay. Because at that time, it was still niche. Yeah, very, yeah. A, a, a step that I've missed out in the story is Rashid, Link Up TV. At, at, um, every, even when I was a rapper before, poetry was even on the cards. He 
gave me he always gave me advice or the environment or both to move forward he was the one that told me to go to bang fm in the first place when i was wow. 18 wow he said yo they support local talent you should go and talk to them and then i ended up meeting you yeah. and the rest of the team and that was from me just giving them my music and just being like i don't know man what do you want to do <laughs> um so rashid when i was in uni said to me you know you should bring music them times there when poetry was taken off it was straight acapella yes he said you should bring music back into the thing the world don't know that you actually started off as a musician yeah or as an artist um and i was just like when my brethren khalil said i should perform in cambridge i was resisting for time yeah i had my reasons but he was like we'll keep it simple yeah piano i get my brethren to play piano you can um take it from there and I, I was like, cool. And he was going to put these freestyles up on Link Up TV. They went on to become the Link Up TV poems. Um, and that was that was me starting to get back into music. Okay. And then the year after that, the, the music industry, because of all of the activity yeah. with Lioness's performance and me doing underground shows where I'm talking to or I'm appearing in the same spaces as rappers, but I'm a poet and I'm getting wheel-ups. Yeah. All of that made the music industry be like, who's this guy? Then Naughty Boy came along. Naughty Boy saw me at one of these events. He was, I think he was at the event as well, Ramel, because you just been active forever. Yeah, I probably um, was there to be fair. <laughs> probably were. Uh, Naughty Boy and um, Mike Righteous, big up Mike Righteous. They saw man and they were like, yeah. But from Naughty Boy got in the mix. Naughty Boy was, 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 just establishing himself as a heavyweight in the music in the industry them times there emily sunday's ting shot his ting shot every everything he did seemed to turn to gold so his interest in man brought a lot of energy around um from industry based people yeah. retch free two came to notice as well retch really extended retch and zeon his manager extended yeah. a hand to man they were like yo we just believe them times they're retch like you said the uk scene was getting love yeah. from the industry Wretch had gone number one. Wretch was still like, he always retained his brand, his character, there's things he would and wouldn't do. You see it? So yeah. him reaching out to man, that's when I was like, I felt extra drawn to the industry. Like, yo, we could probably make something out of this. Yeah. So signing to Ireland, long story short, felt like the culmination of all of that, which yeah. was about a year and a half in the making. Also shouts out to um, BBC One Extra, because they, uh, Trevor Nelson, and Radio One gave man a chance just a few months before I got signed to do a live lounge oh my God, where I'm yes. just pouring out my heart. I wrote the most emotional poem. I didn't like, I don't listen to that poem anymore because it's too personal for man. Wow. It's too raw for me. But that that live lounge, again, was extra confirmation that, all right, I'm going to leave uni mm-hmm. as in graduate into the industry. And that's what I felt like was the right choice at the time. That's beautiful, man. Oh my gosh, you literally just took me down memory lane because the scene was, ooh, it was so new, it was fresh, it was buzzing, it was it was nice. But I think, like I'm about to get onto, there are some dark sides to the music industry. Like, 
despite you, I mean, you had a you had a great release, your debut EP, The Chicken and the Egg. Everyone loved. Oh my gosh, there was so much on there. I loved one two one two. That was my tune. Like, <laughs> yeah, so positive. There was so much happening with the music. It seemed like cool. Okay, he's gonna drop albums. He's gonna do this. It's great. But you made a decision to step away from your deal, to step away from potential projects. What was going through your mind? Why did you come to this decision? Yeah, man. Um, well, to cut a long story short, every step that I explained to you in becoming George the Poet was um, something that I was able to move through via collecting information and using my instincts. When I joined the industry and I had, I was entering a, a different system, just a different way of doing things. Yeah. I felt like I had a new job in translating myself to the people around me. The things that made me George the Poet were a long time in the making. However, these people had recently become aware of my talent yeah. and we hadn't necessarily been on, on the same journey to come into this industry. Yeah. Meaning we, we might have different ways of measuring success and different long-term goals. Right. The, the best way I can put this is that for me, if I had a number one single or a number one album and I didn't have a clue how to lead young people like myself yep. who were in the environment that I was like, that I grew up in. If I didn't know how to lead them through what I was doing, um, I would, the number one or whatever other success could have come, mm. wouldn't have been worth it. Okay. You see it? Yeah. Because them young people don't have another George. That is fair. That it makes perfect sense. I know because when I was growing up, I was looking for what I was becoming. Yeah. I was looking for it. I couldn't exactly find it. I found it. There were great men. There were great people, great women, great elders and community organizers and teachers and role models. There was bare of them. Yeah. But there weren't any in the space that was most important to man yeah. in this, in the music, in the, someone who could spit. You know what I mean? This is when we were young. This is what we respected. Definitely. We respected other things as well but those other things weren't always positive. Mm. So this is the way I had the opportunity to be most relevant while being positive. And because I was working in an industry that had different ways of measuring success, I was developed, it became a whole new job yeah. just trying to get everyone on the same page. That's a lot of work. Right, and I couldn't judge them for that. Yeah. I wouldn't say that they were wrong for that. It was just maybe just a learning process for both of us. Definitely. When I see people, those same people that I was working with, moving in the industry and getting respect, getting ratings, getting their flowers, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about artists. I'm talking about people behind the scenes. Yeah. If you're in the industry, you know, some some people who I had to have strong conversations with at times, man. You know what I'm saying? People might have seen a side to me that they didn't expect. Wow. Yeah, but when I see them being successful, that makes me happy. Yeah. I like them to be in the lane that they need to be in. I don't want to know the ins and outs of how they did it because I know <laughs> that the industry can be a bit crazy. Yeah. But I'm glad that we have distance because when we were in that space together, couldn't necessarily, we didn't, we weren't necessarily going to reach our uh, mutual potential. Of course. That's, oh my gosh. You are 
just I, i'm just gonna say you're just so intelligent because <laughs> a lot of people like you know i'm just gonna say it in the bluntest way a lot of people will be like no i'm gonna stay with the deal i'm gonna keep making money oh who cares about my integrity let me just do me but you were like no actually i've got a bigger purpose and like you said god's plan is is to to keep working on your purpose so for any artist or creative that maybe get maybe gets offered a big deal or something this is where i want to really kind of let people know and get wisdom from you what should mm. people know about the industry when they are making those kind of decisions especially when it can be life-changing financially changing like what can what should they be aware of okay i think the fundamental idea is that success isn't guaranteed okay and because success isn't guaranteed no one has the formula yeah no one has the formula yeah you should be aware that no one has the formula you should be wary of any situation or conversation that is designed to make you feel like your future rests on one decision okay your future don't rest on one decision unless you're gonna go unless you're about to do something that's gonna get you a lot of time in jail <laughs> yep right <laughs> that's a problem <laughs> um every single day you gotta make a number of decisions mm. and you have to be in the healthiest condition possible to make those decisions healthy do you have the people around you that are going to be honest with you yes that's a healthy situation do you have the people around you with the skills that are needed the actual skills not the not the vibe not the words, <laughs> not the history, the current skills that are needed for the next step. Yeah. Do you have those people around you? That is how you create a healthy environment for you to make your decisions. Mm. My, one of my, the lessons I'm most grateful for from my time as a signed artist was that I was able to see myself outside of the system outside of the it's the same thing i had to do growing up in the end okay i had to really imagine that maybe my options ain't like everyone's options okay maybe what works for everyone won't work for man yeah you know i grew up in an in an, in an environment where kids younger than me were always better dressed than me because they were willing to do things that i wasn't willing to do right yeah and I had to be cool with that from 14 years old. Yeah. You know? So moving into the industry and watching everyone else making decisions that work for them, knowing that they didn't go through what I went through, knowing that they're not trying to necessarily achieve the exact same things I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. And knowing that I'll be heartbroken if I don't fulfill my purpose. Yeah. There's no money you could pay me to distract me from that. Ooh, word. I like that. You know? Knowing all of that within myself helped me to say all right so if it's not going to be the industry what is it going to be yeah and i was thinking that for years yeah. you know i was thinking like it might not in the industry i was influenced to try and win over the radio that's how i don't know how the industry i'm it's been a year it's been years since i've been in this environment so yeah. i don't know how, how it is now but back in 2013 14 the idea was that you get on radio, if you get on the most powerful playlist on the radio, 
everything gets easier from there. They spin you all the time. There's royalties from that. You, they can't overlook you for festivals. Yeah, you can go and make yourself more famous promoting your tour. Like it makes sense. Of course, yeah, yeah, makes sense. But just like in the in growing up in St. Raphs and realizing that what everyone else was willing to do might not make sense for me, I had to make the same call in the industry. I hear that. I totally hear that. Oh man, what a journey. And and like you said, there's no formula, there's no blueprint. So, you know, especially for you as a poet, I'm sure there's other people that are listening and thinking, I want to do that. How can I how can I do this? You said there is no there is no formula, but what have you learned about, you know, navigating this, being the businessman, the entrepreneur, the public figure, the social commentator? How have you kind of um formulated this into a working lifestyle? Yeah, um, there's a couple things that help, yeah? Yeah. In order to make your career as an artist a working lifestyle, you got to think in time-specific frameworks. Okay. you got to think about, like, how much time... you, you got to kind of schedule your achievements and your movements and your focus. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, like, every single day you got to... Like, I've tried this way of doing it. Yeah. 7 a.m. is going to be this, 9 a.m. is going to be that. You can do it that way. Or you can say, all right, before I can, before I can um, release an album, for example, I need to have hit these milestones okay. and I'm going to give myself two years to figure out how that can happen. That's, that's what I ended up doing. I left <laughs> the label wow. and I was like, well, the one thing I want is to be in control of my workflow. I don't want to be waiting by the phone hoping that someone hits me up. So how can I be in control of my workflow? And I was like, well, them times there I was watching a lot of Netflix. Okay. <laughs> and I thought if I can get the audience to be on, if, if I can get people to want my material, like how I want the next episode yep. of my favorite shows, yep. then, then I'm onto something. Okay. Right? Because otherwise it would have been what the, what the industry was suggesting. You gotta hit the radio. You gotta hit the festivals. You gotta do a tour. I was like, I, if I do that every single year, I'm never gonna get this, the presence of mind to think about what's best for the community. Okay. So, I gave myself about two years to figure out. All right, how am I gonna keep demand high? As long as the demand is high, I can figure it out every single year according to what my needs are in the in the medium term. Yeah. So, that's long story short. That became the podcast. That's oh. why I landed on a podcast. Yeah. I was like, I need to give people a series that you can dive into. Yeah. It's going to make you feel how a Netflix show would make you feel. Definitely. And when it's done, you're just on my line until you get the next drop. Oh, I love it. We are going to talk about that podcast in a bit because I, I was listening the other day and I was literally like, yo, this is a movie. Like, yeah. we'll talk about the awards and all that kind of stuff because you're killing it. But <laughs> like you kind of said, you, you've created that demand. People are binging. People really listen when you speak. Um, but I've heard you say many times, like, you know, even with your career, well, with your degree rather, you could have been a politician. You could have had that kind of power with your words, but you've chosen not to go down that route 
because people listen a lot more when you use your poetry. Why do you think that is? Why do you think poetry speaks louder than, other than what you said about, you know, the, the demographic and the relatability, what is it about maybe even your own personal delivery that makes people mm. listen and makes people react? I think the last thing you touched on is 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 key. My personal delivery. Right. The other day I gave a talk to some students and I said to them, trust what you enjoy. They were asking me, you know, how do I know what to do after uni? How do I, and I was like, yo, whatever you enjoy, mm. there's a reason you enjoy it. Yeah. So lean into it. Now me, I did that with music from forever. Yeah. Binging on my favorite music and my favorite rappers in particular gave me ideas on what makes good music, what makes good rap, okay. what makes good rhymes. How do you get your point across? This is why I was so obsessed with Getz because as soon as I heard him, well, not as I first heard him on Kano's thing, typical me, yeah. that was like 2004. Then the year after that, he, re he released his first mixtape. And from then up until now, there's been no doubt in my mind that Getz is the best lyricist this country has ever seen. Tell them. <laughs> I feel like it's gets than me. Okay, yes, tell them again. <laughs> I would love to say I'm number one, but I'm number two. I don't think anyone after there's people in my league, mm. people like RA, Lady Leisha, like people that know rhymes, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. People that are very advanced. There's a young um rapper who not enough people know right now from Birmingham. Her name's Tremendous. Okay. She's another one, like just in terms of lyrics, there's levels in it. Yep. And Getz is, is level one. <laughs> um, so I'm listening to that for time and okay. trying to emulate it for time. So when I come to poetry, I'm not leaving anything to chance. Okay. I'm not just trying to see what works. I kind of, I've been thinking about what works for 15 years. I've been preying the people that work well for 15 years yeah. up to this point. So I'm able to channel that. And that's just, I, I say that not to brag, but to make a very clear point to any listeners, any viewers about work rate. Okay, yeah. Work, you get me? You got to work. You have to give the listener no other option other than to conclude that you are great. And the only way you do that is by studying the greatness that you respond to, yeah. which is why I said to them students the other day, trust what you enjoy. Because it is teaching you things that a million books couldn't teach you. Wow. That's beautiful, man. Oh, I love that. And I think that's what people need to hear. Because, you know, you can't just come into this industry thinking, oh, I want to do this because it will make me rich. Or I want to do this because I want to be famous. No, you better enjoy your job. Otherwise, it will tear you down. That is the realest. And um, this kind of leads me on to some of your, your fans your celebrity fans. <laughs> Listen, I don't know how you've got royal family members just like casually shouting you out on podcasts. I mean, you've been invited to speak, I gotta say on like some of the most prestigious platforms in the world. You was invited to speak specifically on Richard Branson's private island. 
Necker mm-hmm. Island. You yeah. you literally was asked to do a presentation and you delivered it in the only way George is supposed to deliver it through poetry. And then mm-hmm. of course, I mentioned Prince Harry and Meghan, you, you opened up BBC One's live coverage of their royal wedding. Like that is mm-hmm. insane. It's so honorable. It's it's such an incredible achievement. Um, but aside of that, I gotta ask, what's it like having these kind of friends? <laughs> i'm gonna ask you on a real one like george these are your people now like what is that yeah Yeah. shouts out to everyone that you just mentioned (laughs) because they've always approached always approached me like it's never been me running on down but they were approached with such respect and awareness of what i mean to others okay you know it's it's very powerful when someone's been like i said like you watch the people that you see something in yeah. And if they, you know, they, they look at me and they're like, you know, I, I see how he can speak to people or I see what, you know, what is on his mind and I want to be part of that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been great because, for example, I met Prince Harry in 2014. Okay. When, like, remember I told you, um, Business in the Community. Yes. The, the, the charity that does the Responsible Business Awards. Yeah. That's his father's charity, isn't it? Of course, yeah. So one time he was in attendance of the awards with William and Prince Charles. And I performed and he came up to me after that and said, now we have to work together. What? Just like that? Just like that. Oh my God. And later on, he asked me to collaborate with him on another charity that he had, um, which was working to destigmatize HIV. Again, I, things things I can stand by. Yeah. Do you get it? Things I believe in. Yeah. So, but from working with him, mm. I have learned so much in very short bursts of activity. Right. Like we'll fly out to go and talk about uh, the destigmatization of HIV, raise funds for um, centers and initiatives that are supposed to help young people. Yeah. And when we fly out, I'm meeting people and I'm in environments that are like, again, a million books couldn't teach me this. Okay, yeah. Just seeing how things come together, just seeing how, for example, in Harry's case, he will support a cause by using the, you know, the fact people are drawn to him. And it's not just the fact that he's royalty. It's him. It's his spirit. It's the same reason I I decided to work with him as well. I wouldn't have just said yes. Like, no matter who you are, people that know me know that. (laughs) but I believe in him so when I see like what he does Mm. with the energy that he's able to create it makes me think deeper about what I can do with my thing same way with Richard Branson um I I went to Necker Island for the charity of Holly Branson Richard's daughter big change which is all about education how to reimagine education yeah again a cause I can believe in right so I go out there and I'm talking and I'm seeing like Holly Branson in herself is not um, an education. She like, she's not an education thought leader herself, Yeah. but she will gather the thought leaders around her and she'll create the environment for us to share ideas. And that's deeply educational for me. Yeah. You know, so the, the biggest thing about, about being connected to these people is how much you can learn and how much you can use what you learn to help other people. That's amazing, but I gotta ask. There's a lot of perks that come with this. What was what was Necker Island like? Come on, tell me, please. <laughs> Necker Island, 
I never, I never speak on this. No one's ever asked me in an interview. How dare they not ask think. about these magical things? <laughs> Necker Allen was a mad thing. Is that all we can say? Have you signed like an NDA or something? <laughs> I haven't signed an NDA, but I respect that it's actually a man's home. That's true. See, see, this is why you're George. You're just so respectable. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But okay, we'll leave it as Necker Island is a mad thing. I am visualizing. I am there. Everything's culture, nothing crazy that I can't talk about, but it's just literally an environment that he created for himself. And again, just seeing what the human imagination can do, understanding a bit about Richard Branson's journey. Yeah. It's just educational. It just makes me think broadly about what I can do for others. Yeah, that's sick. Oh man, one day, one day we will all visit and Richard invite us to Necker Island. I love it. <laughs> but I've got to be honest, yeah. In the industry, uh, I I get it. This is me being, you know, humble and honest. I get imposter syndrome a lot. And I'll be like, why me? This is great. Mm. I love it. I'm enjoying myself. But why me? I'm just a young girl. So do you ever have that moment where you're like, rah, do they know that I'm a guy from Stonebridge? Like, <laughs> yeah. do you ever get yeah. that moment of, is this you know pinch yourself is, is this really happening yeah i do i do get that moment because um like i said there was no blueprint mm. every single year i freestyled okay yeah yeah as soon as i started rapping i was freestyling yeah studying people studying the culture, studying the scene, studying the industry, you know, having to make my own decisions. You don't necessarily know that you're making the right choice at every step. Definitely. You know, and and for me, the big thing now, I feel comfortable in where I am in terms of my art, especially the fact that people understand me better than ever at this point in my career. Yeah. But there's the question of here's the big question that like frustrates me and, and we'll, I'll be obsessed with probably for the rest of my life Ramal, yeah? every single year young black people black teenagers have created a musical sound and a style, an aesthetic style yeah. that has become popular across the whole world. Yeah. Every single year for about the past hundred years. A hundred years ago, spirituals, imagine Negro spirituals in America, spirituals, yeah. what slaves were singing mm. out of stress, out of pure stress mm. that yeah. developed into jazz. Exactly. Poor, these are poor communities, you know? Yeah. Jazz becomes R&B. R&B becomes rock and roll. Rock and roll does what it does. Jamaica start start coming up with their thing in the 50s, 60s that becomes rock steady. Yeah. Becomes reggae, becomes dancehall. Dancehall starts evolving in New York. Mm. These are poor black communities. Poor black teenagers are driving these things enough every single year. Dancehall in New York becomes hip hop. Hip hop grows. Hip hop influences us to come up with jungle, yeah. garage, 
grime, rap, even funky. Yeah. <laughs> Every single year, young black people. And then, of course, I ain't even touched on that on what happened on the African continent. We know where African music is now. Yeah. You know what time it is now. And again, who bust it? Who yeah. makes it the way it is? It's mainly young black people. Not to say older black people don't play a role in propping up industries and creating families and jobs and and, and continuity mm-hmm. that allows young people to, to do what they do. But young people get a crack in every single year. Yeah. Young black people. So what will always baffle me is why do we not have security across the whole black world from that? Why do we not have economic security, cultural security, social security, political security, legal security? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is the Tupac in me coming out. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I've. no matter how successful I might get in my art, this question will always frustrate me. Yeah. And I measure my ability to, I, I measure my closeness to my purpose by how much I can change that. Right. And that's where I might start feeling imposter syndrome. Because I might be like, who, me of all people, why Why would I be the one to, <laughs> you know, say something that might change that? If it's been like that for a hundred years mm-hmm. and black people are wavy, everyone knows black people are wavy, but black people can't convert that waviness into security. Yeah. What makes me think that I might be able to change that? So I do get them thoughts and they weigh me down mm. a lot every single day. Every day that weighs me down. Every day I'm battling with that. Every day I'm like, how do you know you're not just going to go down in history as another artist who made money by selling the pain of your community to Ooh. people who are not experiencing that pain, people who are not responsible for that pain, people who are just going to go have a look, be interested and move on. Mm. And you're not going to be able to change it. That's my worst fear. It is. I can't. I. It, it would break my heart if I didn't create a different future for myself. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like you, I think your journey and the fact that you're so thoughtful of these things is is really just a testament to who you are. And you know, people can learn from that. That you know, you've got to keep on. You got to keep on trucking like we <laughs> like we have been through this pandemic. Like you know you got to do what you believe in and keep living in your purpose, which I personally believe you are fulfilling in an incredible way. And um, that's why you keep on continuing to inspire people. So so thank you for that, for being so open and honest. I really appreciate that. And um, that brings me to the podcast. I mean, you continue to inspire people with Have You Heard George's podcast. The title alone is just, by force, you must listen. <laughs> <laughs> and then you won five awards at the 2019 British Podcast Awards, including Podcast of the Year, which is incredible, and became the first European podcast uh, winner to win a Peabody Award. This is an award that is all about the most compelling and empowering stories. And when I listened to Have You Heard George's podcast, I understood. Like I said earlier, it is an absolute movie. Um, I listened to Concurrent Affairs and The Bag and I just couldn't believe the imagery. I was, I'll tell you what, I went for a walk and the sound production of these podcasts, I genuinely thought there were people behind me. 
(laughs) in my headphones i had to take out one of the headphones and check that there was not someone behind me shouting in the background i was so confused and it just showed me wow you put everything into this it is absolutely understandable why it's won so many awards and the peabody award of course so for Mm. anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast yet in your own words uh tell us what it is cool cool i would say the podcast is the closest thing i can get to a recording of what the inside of my head sounds like in my head, I have memories, I have music, I have bars, I have stresses, I have dreams. Just thought instead of me putting some of the music into an album, some of the memories into a book, some of the dreams into a movie, mm. let's just put it all into one project. Yeah, beautifully done. And like, so there's 18 episodes. Um, right now, yeah. Are we are we going to see? Are you wait? Because obviously the pandemic has happened. I totally understand why you've you've taken some time out. But um, what is the production process of it for someone who wants to create beautiful uh, podcasting art like this? How how does that happen? Mm. So you know what I um remember I I left the label yeah and I said let me figure out how to create demand mm. for what I do. Um, and I and I was influenced by Netflix in that direction. Yeah. Watching Netflix and spending time with my nephews. Okay. Gave me a list of things that I wanted to achieve with my audio project. Right. So if I take it all the way back to the chicken and the egg, this yeah. is where it really started. See with it, with my with my EP, the chicken and the egg. It was a story. Yeah. And I used my favorite musical techniques to tell that story. Yeah. It was all R&B driven. I always, I, lo- I grew up loving R&B. Yeah. So that was my compass when I made that EP. But at the same time, I le- making that EP, I learned a couple tricks and I, I was excited to always build on those tricks yeah so one of them was like you said like putting people's voices around yeah. you know when we listen to music it's straight 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 on it's yeah. like comes straight into the middle of your mind the music the singer is singing in one direction yeah i was thinking to myself imagine if the singer just leaves the room though isn't it? and you can, <laughs> you can kind of hear them like what would that sound like yeah so i had them kind of techniques in my head and also being with my little nephews I spent a lot of time watching cartoons right. and watching like Pixar movies, Disney movies too. Yeah. Disney showed me that you can really do a lot with songs. Yeah. You see in Disney, you get like every Disney song, every D- Disney movie has a song and the yeah. biggest ones have the biggest song of the year, more yeah. time. Yeah. But when I'm getting into this, I'm learning about Frozen and Elsa and Let It Be or whatever it's called. <laughs> Love that. Shout out the girls. <laughs> Shout out to, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yo, so... What you're telling me is you lot wrote this tune knowing that it was going to slot into a story mm. and you're going to sell hella merch. Remember, I'm independent as well, so yeah. I'm thinking more like an entrepreneur. I'm trying to get my business awareness up. Yeah. So I'm like, you lot are selling hella merchandise, hella tickets. You're moving 
fear commerce <laughs> yeah. from the fact that you're able to market this tune mm. alongside this whole experience. So in my mind, I started like building a list of things that I wanted to achieve in that way. Yeah. So I knew that the podcast had to be, it had to have moments that were like, would blow a listener's mind using songs. We all love songs. Yeah. You know, like when I was trying to make an album, that's what, this is what I had to separate myself from the industry because yeah. what works for everyone might not work for you, yeah. might not work for me. Everyone makes songs and the best people that make the best songwriters and the best performers win. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I don't think I'll stand out or I'll make a lane for myself trying to compete in that game. Because I could make songs, but what's really on my mind is, this, is these, these big stresses. Yeah. So every time I try and make a song, I, I want to talk about black, <laughs> the future of black people and that. Now, not everyone really wants to hear that. And I don't always want to do that in a way that will make it fun yeah. in, 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 the, in the song way. Yeah. But I love the music, though. I love what everyone else is doing when they do it. Yeah, yeah. So I took that for the podcast. I was like, how can I take the fact that I love everyone's music? I was like, oh, I should just write about their music. I should write about what the music does for me mm. and for the community. I should write about the pros and the cons because there's real criticisms to make as well. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. And if I do that, more people are going to be able to respect it and be like, no, we're talking the same language. He feels how I feel. Mm. So I would say, if you want to get into this podcasting thing, first of all, figure out like what the what you're discussing. Mm. Me, I knew I was discussing the community. I go. knew that. Then after you figure out what you're discussing, figure out how you can make it appealing to someone who's not you. Okay. You know, forget, you might have banter. You might have a rapport with your bridges when you start recording. You might have bars like me, mm. or you might have the ability to make you know, beautiful music like my producer Ben Brick. Yeah. But given what you want to talk about, how can you make an artistic experience that stands out? That's all you got to do. And everyone's solution will be different, just like music, just like everyone's songs. Everyone's style is different. Jay Huss is popular for different reasons to, to I was going to say, yeah, to get. He's popular to different, yeah. you know, like NSG are popular for different reasons compared to western yeah we might think of artists in the same lane but everyone's got flavor everyone's got a unique flavor yeah so use that flavor to tell whatever story you want to tell for your podcast definitely oh good advice because you know everyone's kind of jumping on the podcast wave and i love it but at the same time i don't want to just hear the same old same old i want people to wow me like you did i have to take out my headphones and be like who the hell is behind me so <laughs> so yeah. that is exactly what you've done you've created the movie experience and oh, i love it big up you for for everything that you've achieved with it because it's beautiful and i look forward to episode 19 and beyond uh, <laughs> but um okay let's wrap this up because i have i have soaked as much i'm trying to get everything out of you george but um top five tips to make it in the mainstream this is one of my favorite things to do and I feel like it's such a great way for people to kind of, you know, feel like they're being encouraged. And I would love to know from your perspective of being George the Poet, what are your top five tips to make it in the mainstream? Right. So to make it in the mainstream, I would say number one, be 
useful Ooh. to others. Okay. Be useful, like make people glad to see your name on the email. You know, however you can do it. That might be before you're famous, giving advice and support to other artists on your level, you know, when the level that me and Ramel was at when we first linked up. Ramel was always a useful person. She was always active, you know? <laughs> she was, right. like I said, like she said, Ramel was on the street team of a radio station when we first linked up. Perfect example of making yourself useful. Yeah. You know, me, I was trying to talk, I was trying to help share what I was learning with the world, especially with young people. Yeah. It's, it's useful. So even when it's not cracking, even when there's not the most money in what you do, there's always longevity. It's always going to last because it's like, no, that person there, mm. they help. They they bring something that will always make my life easier. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So be help, be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, chains is cool to cop, but more important is lawyer fees. Keep Ooh. lawyer fees on deck. Okay. Right? <laughs> you need legal assistance. Lawyer, legal fees are like one of the best investments you can make in the mainstream you know like if you're not in the mainstream yet mm-hmm. you might not have this pressure you might be able to just keep your work at a level where it's not high stakes and mad liability Yeah. but in the mainstream it is high stakes it is mad liability yeah. All right? so you need professionals watching your back Jeez. and the thing about your lawyer where you pay her or, her or him, whatever, you, where you pay your lawyer, you can, you understand where their advice is coming from. Yeah. You know, they are a professional designed to give you a service. There are other people in the mainstream who are also going to present themselves as professionals. Yeah. They might have a big office, but their agenda comes from a different place. Yeah. You know, it's not just objective advice. More time, when you have meetings in the industry... No one is talking from a purely objective space. No one can say to you, look, I'll be honest, this is not the greatest opportunity for you, but I think you should take it anyway. Mm. (laughs) Right? But a lawyer can be honest with you and say, all right, if you do, if you go ahead and do X, Y, and Z, here are the dangers, here are the possibilities, you make your decision. (laughs) You know, And, and the thing about lawyers as well is that they are, in the industry and they talk to other lawyers so they have a better perspective of what is realistic and what is going on in other areas yeah that's good so for the mainstream definitely stay stay lawyered up i would also say keep continuously building your value oh yes i like that word value value it's not far from the being useful point. It's very similar. But value is, even before, see, useful, when you're useful, someone else knows what they can do with you. Yeah. But you might have value that no one knows about yet. Yeah. For me, when I started doing poetry, no, not everyone knew how to use it. People were entertained and they were curious. But the part of the reason I had to remove myself from the industry as well is because they had kind of one idea on what my value was. Yeah. And that was 
you're a cool young black man who can write him. You must be basically a rapper. <laughs> yeah. You see it? Yeah. And they weren't wrong for, for thinking like that, but that was a reflection of their environment, of their way of doing things, yeah. of their value system. My value system was like, half of me was still, you know, like preparing to become a politician. Yeah. I left that yeah. person. So I, I'm still connected to that world. So if, if my craft and my words and my poetry isn't relevant in the world that one, you know, in the world of politics, for example. Mm. So I had to ensure that I was continuously progressing in that way, which is why now I'm about to start a, a PhD. I'm going back to university. Yes, George, tell them, teach them, show them. <laughs> right. Um, again, I'm not just flexing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show you that I'm, 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 I'm living what I'm advising you. Yeah. I don't have to go back to uni. Mm. However, if I'm going to be on big, big Romel London show saying <laughs> to her that I think the future of the community involves X, I need to really know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, in order to build the value in my advice and in my recommendations and my perspective, I'm going to go all the way back to uni yeah. just to make sure that I am growing in, in what I'm able to say. Definitely. So definitely keep driving your value. Um, respect, honor, and protect your day ones. Nice. Yeah. Respect, honor, protect your day ones. You might, it's, it's no relationship or no friendship is straightforward. Mm. Um, I'll give the example of the woman who's now my fiance. Jeez. We have a great relationship. I, I, I love her. Shouts out to Sandra. She works with me. She's basically my business manager. She, she, she helps me. I come up with a vision. She comes up with a spreadsheet. Nice. You know, she'll um, review the needs of the business periodically, like yeah. instinctively, she'll th she'll see something happening on the horizon and she'll think to herself, all right, we need to prepare for that mm. in terms of our staff, our legal advice, our system, our information flow. But Sandra weren't always like that okay. for in, in my work. Yeah. Back in the day when we were like teenagers, she was, a fan she she loved what i did with bars and she she advised me she was the first person to ever say that when i was a rapper when i was still showering yeah. you know you should when you do it because i used to rap lyrics to her over the phone straight acapella That's and she was so like yo there's something in that acapella thing it's, it's kind of special when you do that wow. so she was a friend yeah, yeah yeah and she was a very close friend that would be honest with me mm. but when I started moving into the industry, there's things about what I was putting out that Sandra didn't always love. Right. And she would just be honest with, all she could do is be honest with me and be like, I don't think that's, that's your best thing. I don't really like seeing you in that light. Me personally, I know your other fans might like that, but I don't really, that's not for me. Wow. And that's a, a clear example of a day one, like just her, just me respecting her opinion. Yeah. Created a lot of, um, saved me a lot of stress. Yeah. Yeah. Because her opinion was with my best interests at heart so and eventually when we were able to make our skills link up mm. she had history i needed recruitment i wanted to recruit some interns and she had experience in recruitment right so she was able to make her experience relevant to me yeah 
and then we were able to collaborate and she did a great job of recruiting me some amazing young people that I'm still in contact with today that I still work with today um but that's a good example of why you gotta just keep your day ones and respect their perspective respect their opinion yeah. because you might not see where they're and, and you lot might not be on the same page you know there's been times in my career where someone's just like I'm gonna let you crack on with it man because I don't think I can be part of that I don't that's not for me yeah but later on, it all came together. So respect on our protect your day ones, hundred percent. Yeah. And number um, five. <laughs> number five for the mainstream. Yeah, I would say that you should. Um, this is a general principle that I apply across my life. Yeah. Okay. Life is a dialogue, not a monologue. Oh, okay. All right. So you just need to listen listen that's that's just the that's number five listen listen to everything listen listen to the market yeah 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 like if what if you think what you're doing is so great and you can't believe that no one else loves it as much as you do listen why yeah you know what i mean why is it not working for you if you're that great listen to the news what's next what's coming up how is brexit going to affect your thing yep you know what I mean? Listen to new music. Mm. What's going on? Even if it's not for you, even if you don't think you can get involved with it, your ability to listen is what's going to keep you young. Yeah, yeah. Do you get it? Yeah. If, if, if podcast, it might the wave might have come to you out of nowhere, and you might be thinking, "Why has everyone got a podcast? People are just <laughs> jumping on the wave." But listen, I don't know. Listen to why they got a podcast. What Literally, is in their podcast? Have a listen. You'll understand why people like it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Listen, sometimes also it, it you know, tox, uh, comments can be toxic, Yeah. but you have to have a way of understanding how people are taking you in as well. Yeah, yeah. Somehow. You might not want to obsess over every comment, but you might want to also keep an ear out for the feedback of people who, who may or may not like you. There's people that don't like me and they mm. pop up every now and then in my, on my socials and say certain things about man mm. that i don't necessarily think are true there's people that think i hate britain oh, i don't wow. i love britain i've said that a lot in my work and in my interviews yeah but because i rejected an mbe there are people that might feel away yeah. but because i have it i'm able to listen to them i am aware of what they feel i'm aware of where they're coming from yeah yeah a lot of people just feel like they're not heard they see a lot of young black people shining in mm. this economy they themselves are not young and black and they are struggling in, in the economy, yeah. but they might feel like all they hear from young black people is criticisms of this society, you know, and that will make them feel away. But because I can listen to them, I can respect where they're coming from, even yeah. if they don't respect me. That's and great. I don't have to take it so personal. So I would advise you number five, listen, life is a dialogue, not a monologue. Ooh, beautiful 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 i had to say it three times because i felt it so deep <laughs> george you have absolutely given me gems and not just me like i'm sure anyone that's listening right now feels so inspired empowered and you've just shown that there is no limit you can always push through you can you can be from anywhere in the world and still have an impact so thank you so much for giving us these wise words your tips and just sharing with me today because it's been so good so so good so george please let everyone know where they can find you follow you and just stay involved in your world 
Well, before I do that, I want to say thank you, Ramel, not just for this interview, but for the energy that you have kept the whole time that I've known you. I remember when I dropped my first single from the label, 1212, um, you, you, you wrote the most beautiful write-up. You know what I mean? And, and I, had, I had mixed feelings around that release, the way things came about, things were... But it's like you've always just brought in a little ray of light whenever you've um, come into contact with what I'm doing. So thank you for being consistent and, and for creating this opportunity. Everyone else, you can catch man on George the Poet at everything. Check out Have You Heard George's podcast on all, on BBC Sounds and all, uh, you know, um, podcast platforms. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Oh, George, I feel so, I literally feel like, oh, that was such a moment because I feel like you have been on my journey as well. And yeah. you've just referenced my old blog from back in the day day. So <laughs> I really appreciate that. And just thank you for your time. Thank you for your words. And thank you for being on the mainstream. So this has been the mainstream hosted by me, Ramal London, recorded at the Puma Suede Studios. And thank you to my special guest, George the Poet. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Mainstream Podcast with me, Ramel London. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review on Apple and Spotify and follow us at The Mainstream UK and at Ramel underscore London.